welcome to FML Fund My Life, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. And welcome to Stocktober. So if you follow My Wall Street on socials, you'll notice they've basically been taken over by a campaign we've nicknamed Stocktober. Throughout the month of October, we've pitched a stock a day in a 60 second video. And Emmett has compared this campaign to a mini MBA in your pocket or the Duolingo of stocks, which didn't really catch on that well. The benefit the viewer gets is that they can learn about the most important components of a business in under a minute. And more importantly, for us investors out there, they get a quick snapshot of what we think of the stock from an investment perspective. So if you haven't checked out those videos, I'd highly recommend taking a few minutes out of your day and head head on over to my Wall Street's TikTok, YouTube, Twitter or Instagram account, basically your favorite platform and have a look at the videos. So if you're interested in business, popular brands, stock investing, or tech companies, there are nuggets of information for everyone that will make you smarter in minutes. So back to FML. In this episode, we're going to talk a little about some of the stocks we've already pitched, just in case you prefer listening to podcasts than watching videos. But before we get into that, how's your week been, Amory? For a casual chat. <laughs> it's, it's in the notes, so we have to do it. How was my week? We, my week was pretty good. I was in Spain last week in uh, Malaga for a nice, t- oh. t- nice little week off. Lovely. It's warm. It's good, yeah. And then um, kind of in cultural news, we are in a very big week of music right now. Lots of big releases. Very excited about. We've had a 1975 album, Taylor Swift album, Carly Rae Jepsen album, and a Beyonce album all in kind of last couple weeks. So I've been uh, yeah. been listening to lots of new music. It's been great. Yeah, um, especially I think the Taylor Swift one has really just taken over, like Twitter, I see everyone yeah. talking about it. Yeah, she is kind of brilliant at self-promotion, isn't she? Mm-hmm. And um, of yeah. course, Rihanna, the jokes are coming out now that oh, it yes, just it shows the cost of having a, chil- having a child because she's gone back to work. It's like, Rihanna yeah, going back to yeah. work proves that how expensive it is to have a child nowadays, you know, the rising cost yeah. of living and everything. I know, is she putting on an album or is it just a tour? Do we know? Oh, I thought it was an album on a tour. I don't know. I like. Don't, I don't know if the the. I knew. I know that the tour has been confirmed, but I think people are just suspicious that an album is coming. But it's been a while. I think it's been five or six years since she's put anything out. Mm. Yeah, and just to circle back, anyway. so you were you were remote working in Spain, weren't you? Like for a few days. Uh yeah, just for like two half days. I was working from there. Yeah, and how did you find it? Because that's kind of like my thing i guess yeah not working abroad it is yeah <laughs> working yeah working from a much warmer climate um it was fine except the airbnb that um i was staying in in malaga city was like right in the center of the of the historic quarter which was great in terms of like being able to walk around and see everything however what we didn't realize was that the apartment was next door to a club like oh. quite literally like the next door was a club and so there was music pumping until about three thirty every morning oh my god so that could have been better and I yeah, I think um, you think Malaga will be quiet this time of year, like for holiday makers, because it's October. Yeah, to be fair, it was filled with like the elderly. They were there, you know, for a bit of mild, mild sun. In but the club? oh, clubs, <laughs> no, they were not in the club, but they were like on the streets, like um, yeah. So it was pumping. So there is a club that is still going in Malaga apparently in October. Mm. Yeah, and speaking yeah. of remote working, I've actually moved back to Ireland from Lisbon, so I was a good few months. In Lisbon, and now I'm back in Ireland in the lovely weather. Currently down in um, Waterville in County Kerry, where it hasn't stopped raining. Honestly, like the west yeah. is so bad in Ireland. Like, uh, like yeah, it's, it's dark. 
we usually come here in the summer and you know the village is very busy there's also holiday makers down I guess college yeah. people are back for the summer but this time of year it's so quiet and with the bad weather we're like what yeah. do we do we're going for a walk and just getting like lashed on like two minutes later yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I once stayed in Waterville like on a road trip when we were in like uh COVID times and then we were told not to leave the country me and my mm. friends went on like an Irish road trip and we stayed in Waterville in like um it was a hostel, but it had become a hostel because of COVID, where it was normally, it was being used as like mm. a gale talked, and they had converted the rooms and made it into a hostel, and we were the only people staying in that hostel. No one else was there, and it was a very surreal experience. We were like out, a good bit away out of out of Waterville itself, um, oh. and it was very quiet and dark and cold, Yeah, and yeah, it like was it's, July. It's a really nice part of the country, but um, yeah, it just gets like really bad weather, doesn't it? Yeah. That's mad that you've been here and didn't think you'd know it. <laughs> yeah no I've, I've i've definitely been i'm sure i have have photos definitely ate a very good chicken sandwich in a pub there <laughs> all the highlights <laughs> of course yeah. okay so that's that's enough about our lives i know yeah. you want to hear about the stock so let's talk um first about lululemon which is a stock Ooh. that we have talked about a lot i know but um it's yeah. one of i think it was the first stock we pitched in stocktober if i'm not mm-hmm. mistaken and i should know because i'm yeah. a project manager <laughs> but yeah what do you think um you wrote this script and marie on lululemon stock yeah and um one of my fa- sorry one of my favorite bits was that um you made a reference to the abc pants yeah you know, like the company has kind of got attracted more male consumers because they've made these trousers called the abc pants but yeah tell everyone what that stands for yeah it's the abc pants to the anti-ball crushing pants which is a, they're <laughs> apparently a huge thing um not only for like people doing like yoga and pilates but even they have a form of them that are meant to look like slacks and so like people who are like teachers office workers they've just been buying up these pants to wear every day they're apparently super comfortable um mm. very like you know semi-formal looking so you can kind of get away with it um and they're really really popular and i think it was I think it was kind of a testament to for a long time people were always like all Lululemon makes is yoga pants and yeah, those yoga pants are directed at women and mm-hmm. yoga pants really were such a trend kind of in the 2010s and I think people thought that the company was going to be quite short-lived and they were ignoring kind of the fact that like uh, the reason that Lululemon was so successful in the yoga pant industry is because they were known for high quality they were known for kind of having this premium brand and so it's been really nice to be able to see them flex that muscle and say hey we know how to make premium products so if you know yoga pants do fall out of favor we can make alternatives that have that Mm. same high quality and people will like them um so that's kind of like one of my favorite facts about them is it's always nice to see a company that you're like okay they're doing really well in this vertical but can this these same characteristics be applied to another so yeah that's kind of one of my favorite facts about them i think my second favorite fact about lululemon is um they've been one of these companies that has succeeded despite the decline of brick and mortar retail you know everyone is always just ordering stuff online but lululemon um is a completely vertically integrated company meaning that they control every aspect of the way the brand appears from their manufacturing all the way down to the stores so they Mm -hmm. own the stores themselves they're not renting them from anybody else Mm -hmm. and that gives them really great flexibility and customization because it means that each store manager is allowed to make the store, you know, themed in any way that they want. And that's something Lululemon really encourages because they want the stores to be an experience. They want you to go in and try out a bunch of different options. They want you to talk to employees and get recommendations. Um, and so just a testament to that is every quarter, it's, I believe the company gives their store manager something like twenty or $25,000 to just revamp the store and do anything they want with it. Mm. And I remember learning about this and then going to the Lululemon store in Denver 
and the one in downtown was themed like camping and they had one of those mini airstream trailers in the store itself um and they had like moved their cash registers into it um and just it was just kind of like an experiencing of like oh you know it's it's the winter time that doesn't mean you know the outdoors are closed which is um kind of a a theme that they adapted because the store was in Colorado where people do continue to like, it's very kind of outdoorsy um, state people, you know, love to go skiing and hiking and all that, even in the winter time. So it's very interesting to see that adaptability and, and see them create an environment, which consumers still go into the store and they then spend more because mm. they, you know, are in this environment that encourages them to do so. Yeah. And that's very interesting. They put, they're putting in so much money and effort into making their stores like an attraction, yeah. as you said, because like online shopping, has become like mm-hmm. massive so like you know they could have easily been like yep. no let's just make our, make our website um really good or let's just put loads of money into like influencer marketing but like it is mm-hmm. nice that you know people are going back a little bit and remember we talked about that before like you know trends are going back in time and i think there is a market where people are going to want to go no yeah. i want to go out and i want to experience things and if their store is more like going to an event or an experience that's yeah. really cool but yeah it is a big shift yeah I, th- I think the premium branding is kind of allowing them to have a bit more organic growth because it, mm. you really do hear a lot of word of mouth about Lululemon. People are yeah. like, have you tried these pants? They're really incredible. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're so like popular with women. Remember like mm-hmm. all the way back in episode two of FML, we did a one on the Becky ETF. Um, the oh, episode's yeah. called Becky with the Good Fund if you want to go back and listen to it. Um, but Lululemon was a stock that was in, that we put in that ETF because like it is so popular with these mm-hmm. you know class of women who have a lot of um disposable income i guess you'd call it and they do spend money in lululemon so it fits into that category very well as well yeah i also think just in terms of as a stock it's quite an interesting stock to go back and look at because i know Emin has spoken about it several times that when he was initially pitched lululemon i think by rory and i think it entered the shortlist in like 2016 it's been in my washer for a really long time um, Emmett said that he thought it was such a ridiculous premise. He thought it was a really, really? ridiculous company. He couldn't yeah. understand how a company of that size, very small at the beginning, it's from Canada. He couldn't understand how, like, it was at all a reasonable investment when it was going to go mm. up against Nike and Under Armour and Adidas, yeah. you know, really established brands. And Adidas. I think that, uh, yeah, <laughs> that, come on. We won't go into it. We won't go into Adidas. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> And I think he was kind of like, oh, this is so ridiculous. And I think the argument that Rory uses, like, there's a gap in the market. There mm-hmm. is there is a sportswear gap in terms of, like, no one is appealing to women who do not want to be high-performing athletes. Yeah, you know, but want to be comfy, yeah. Yeah, but want to be comfy, but still want to, you know, be able to go out and do yoga and Pilates. But they don't want to be told they need to be running a marathon. And, mm-hmm. like, he was right because that is the gap that Blue Lemon has basically filled. And now it has all the other massive sport where companies chasing them nike and Mm -hmm. under armor have both now tried to pivot towards more women's wear so um yeah it's kind of a great lesson in terms of sometimes really great investments can be in this blind spot for the majority of the market because i think Mm -hmm. it was a company really focused on women and i think that sometimes meant that investors i don't know i think a lot of kind of institutional investors aren't normally looking for companies like that so it's it's Mm -hmm. a kind of nice success story yeah and i know we're in a very harsh economic climate right now but how is the business and the stock yeah. doing currently it's actually there's this big trend I, I wrote about this last week um so if you kind of want a more kind of concrete write-up with some some facts and figures there's a an article i wrote last week called how to skip the bullwhip because we're in this what's called a bullwhip economy right now which which basically means we're, we're suffering the impact of of companies over ordering because during the pandemic people were spending a lot more money 
Mm. particularly on clothing, but particularly comfy clothing. And so it meant that a lot of clothing brands pivoted really quickly and ordered an in excess of things like leggings, pajama bottoms, sweatpants. Um, and now all that, that merchandise is only just beginning to come in because we obviously um, had a number of supply chain issues. You know, boats were delayed coming into America. Boats were delayed trying to get into China. And so now all these vendors have access merchandise. Nike has a tremendous amount. It's like mm. billions of dollars of merchandise that's now sitting and waiting on shelves. Lululemon is actually quite an interesting company because they've been somewhat able to jump this hurdle. Um, the first reason is because their sales are just absolutely phenomenal. I think their last quarter was like sales were up 25 or 30 percent, something like that. So revenue has continued to grow even as macroeconomic conditions have worsened. That's kind of a testament to their premium brand. We tend to see high value brands, designer brands do really well sometimes during recession because recession often impacts high earners less obviously than, than yeah. um, those within lower classes. Um, but also Lululemon kind of did the, 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 the supply chain, they kind of tried to defy it by, they just decided they were going to spend more to bring the merchandise in quicker. So last year they had an issue of, they were running out of some of their best selling items and they couldn't sell them because they just didn't have them to sell. And they were saying, God, we're leaving all this potential revenue on the table. How are we going to fight this? So they said, right, we're just going to spend more and fly the merchandise in from China rather than allowing it to go on boats, mm -hmm. which meant now that Lululemon has been better at just staying on top of like, oh, how much do we need to be ordering? Because they're getting their merchandise much quicker, so there's not this massive delay. Whereas Nike is waiting for boats to come in, which sometimes now means they're waiting three, four, five months. Lululemon is saying, no, 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 we're going to order. We're going to pick the stuff up that's coming into the United States now so we know where we can sell it. So that has meant that they actually don't have this excess merchandise problem that a lot of their contemporaries do. Um, that being said, stock is still down kind of the same way the rest of the market is down. Yeah. Um, it's down like in 30, 35% range, even though it's continued to perform revenues doing well, a little bit of margin pressure, but not too much. Um, yeah, very successful business kind of firing on all ends. Um, bit costly stock price is a bit, bit expensive mm -hmm. for a clothing brand, but it's, it's growth, I think keeps people's attention on it. Great. Okay. Very nice summary yeah. there. Okay. So let's move on to... Yeah stock number two which is Manchester United and this is one of the like stocks that did or stock pitches that did really well for us on um socials and I do think it's because it's not one that we like frequently talk about on my wall street it's not in our shortlist and um, we don't usually talk about like um sports stocks definitely not soccer stocks or anything like that so I think it was like our followers were like oh this is something that I haven't heard my wall street analysts talk about before um and I'm not a massive soccer fan. Are you, Emery? <laughs> no, not really. I kind of follow like like the World Cup and stuff like that, like national teams yeah. maybe. But I wouldn't I wouldn't be checking out the Premier League all that often. Yeah, so you might not have as much to say about Manchester United. Mm. But I didn't even know you could actually invest in this company yeah. before doing Stocktober. Mm. Yeah, I think they IPO'd in like 2014 or 15 or something like that. They are the only Premier League team I think that's floated. Mm. Yeah, yeah, but like it is kind of like an interesting idea, I suppose, like to be able to invest in your favorite sports team. I'd say a lot of people mm -hmm. invest in it for different reasons other than just yeah. like, I hope this stock makes money, you know, which is like norm mm -hmm. the normal yeah. one. Yeah. But what do you think about it as an investment? Yeah, you're kind of correct that I suppose if you're going to invest in Manchester United, it, it's maybe an investment you make for the love of the game, as they'd mm -hmm. say, for the love of the team. I think if you're a Manchester United fan, you want to maybe put, I don't know, 100 euro in and just hold on to it to say, hey, I'm a tiny, tiny, tiny little fractional owner of Manchester United. I think that's okay. 
in terms of like is it a stock that aligns with or has the characteristics of a stock that goes on the short list like no not at all um it has it it's inconsistent and that's just down to like the way that manchester united has to do business so they obviously are generating money from brand deals and, and merchandise deals and being able to sell their image in that type of way and that actually intrinsically means that their ability to make money is tied to how well the team is doing so you know if, if manchester united is winning the premier league and wins the champions league obviously that means that they will make a lot of money because people mm -hmm. want to put Manchester United on cereal boxes and on t-shirts and, and stuff like that because they'll be popular. Um, last couple of years, Manchester United actually hasn't done all that well um, in terms of performing on kind of the big international stages. Um, and that's been unfortunate because Manchester United has like, I think the most expensive team in the Premier League in terms of signing players and that, you know, there's a definite disconnect between, oh, we have, you know, they have Cristiano Ronaldo and yet they've so far this year not done very well. So, um, it's it's not an investment that I think would ever, I don't know, line up in any way with like Horizon or My Wall Street or, or anything like that. It really is only something you should consider if you really love the team. And, and then it's you need to think of it of, oh, I'm doing this because, I don't know, I want the stock certificate that says I own Manchester United, you know? Yeah. So is it a no from Emily? Yeah. Would it be a no from you? Yeah, it, 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 it would be a no. And like, I don't know, like, I, I think... It's funny because uh, there are other like sports teams that they're not publicly listed, but you can buy shares of. So a good example is the Green Bay Packers, which is an NFL team in the United States, and they are publicly owned. They're owned by the people of Green Bay, um, and they sell stock every couple of years. You get to buy it. It does not never goes up in value. The stock is always worth the same amount, and the team sells excess shares when they need a little bit of extra money. But the reason fans are happy to do it is because Green Bay, it's a, a, it's a city in Wisconsin, city, strong word. Um, but when you compare Green Bay to every other city in the United States that happens to host an NFL team, it's really small. Um, you know, it doesn't have the foot traffic or the population that other cities that happen to have NFL teams do, um, which means it's the, the reason the people of Green Bay are able to keep the team there is because they're willing to buy stock in it and, it, and are, are willing to monetarily support it in that way. And I think that's really nice. But I think the people who buy the shares have that understanding where they're like, no, I love Green Bay. I want them to stay here. So I will financially support them. Um, and so like, I almost feel like Manchester United, you should think about it in the same way where you're, you're just thinking about you're financially supporting them. It's not exactly an investment. And you did a bit of digging and you found that L LAFC um, is a women's yeah. team that's recently launched on the stock market, I'm guessing? No, it's not publicly traded. It's just, oh. um, it's a new women's team that is part of the, what is the American League called? I can't remember. Um, but it was recently launched last year and it's the Los Angeles team. And um, they're like owned by virtually like every famous woman you've ever heard of put money into oh. this team to get it off the ground so Beyonce. it's like natalie port like yeah beyonce like natalie portman jessica chastain own some of them um oh it's just like their board is just heavy on on celebrities like Charlize theron owns part of it like um jennifer gardner owns some of them like reese witherspoon any because they all live in la and i think they were all like women's soccer is becoming quite popular in the united mm -hmm. states and i think they were yep. all like why don't we have a team in los angeles we'll just make one so um yeah, it's, it's nice to see. I think, again, it's just a reflection of if you want to invest in sports, sometimes it has to be a passion project. Cool. Okay, well, 
Let's move on then to a completely different stock. Um, Neo is our third one we're going to talk about, who is um, Tesla's biggest competitor um, in the EV market. So it's um, based out of China, which is a fast growing EV sector, I guess. And so, yeah, what do you think about this as an investment? Um, Neo is is a, is a difficult company because it, it's it's in a fast growing area, which is electric vehicles, and it's in a a country that's very focused on on um, encouraging people to buy electric vehicles. There's really lucrative tax credits in the region. Thirty um, percent of new cars sold in China last year were electric. So obviously, you know, you have this market that's moving in their favor. The issue is, is that like every other car manufacturer is aware that China is a hot EV market. So it means they're all pouring resources and time and manufacturing into there. So lots and lots and lots of competition. Um, Neo is very much reminiscent of kind of Tesla, maybe five or six years ago, where everyone is saying, right, this is a good concept. This vehicle works, but oh my God, are they having production issues? Which I mean, this is something that we've talked about repeatedly on the Stock Club podcast. I think we've done three episodes on the difficulties of getting EVs off the ground. And it's like manufacturing cars is a horrible industry to be in. It is so low margin. Mm. It is so difficult. Like the likelihood of you being able to launch a new car and not go bankrupt is very, very, very low. It's so hard. And so Neo is far riskier than maybe picking up stock in an established car company that happens to have an EV branch, you know, Ford, General Motors, someone like that, or even Tesla. Like Tesla is just more time tested, proven at this point. Like they have some of their manufacturing off the ground. You just feel a bit safer knowing, right, they're going to be able to deliver hundreds of thousands of vehicles. Neo is still in like the tens of thousands of vehicles spot right now. And they don't seem to be as kind of pushed in the tech side of things as Tesla would be. So, you know, like Tesla has this insane valuation and big Tesla heads try and say, oh, it's justified because they're going to sell car insurance and they're going to sell autonomous taxis and they're going to sell all this software that means that people will be paying Tesla month over month after they buy the car. I don't see Neo as having that kind of same ambitions. I think they, like every other car manufacturer, saying, oh, we will get to autonomous driving. But I don't see them, I don't know, pushing as much to get into the software end of things, the recurring revenue end of things. So it's just uh, a risky risky investment and i think they will probably have a very difficult next couple of quarters as they try and prove themselves against this really tough macroeconomic environment so Mm. one to keep an eye on it's definitely in an interesting market it's just just it's a bit too risky for me at the minute yeah so this would be high risk high reward this would be the top of the pyramid if you listen to our stock building (laughs) portfolio episode for sure We've kind of, um, we're kind of talking about all the risky ones so far. Lee <laughs> 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 is really the best one so far. But it's yeah. good because, um, you know, we've done 30 in October. So like watch yeah. the other ones. But it's important, yeah, to like pinpoint these um, these differences. Because I think a lot of people would be like, oh yeah, Neo is definitely going to, you know, make it. But it's important to like note the risks and it's not at the same level as Tesla at all, really, is it? No. Yeah. No, not in terms of like manufacturing production um deliveries nothing yeah mm. so it's a no so far for emory and neo guys um yeah but yeah up next then we have olaplex which i'm very excited to get to because this is actually a company that mm. i know a lot about <laughs> for once yeah um one of my favorite brands saved my hair um because i keep dying at different colors <laughs> and then it's also in the becky etf because yeah it's kind of um popular with this you know woman who has disposable income so it fits into that kind of narrative as well nicely um but yeah what do you think about olaplex because they've been in the news like 
well not recent enough it was a good it was like I think six months ago now wasn't it that the, that big scandal came out that it caused infertility in rats and everyone was kind of yeah. scared about it <laughs> but it's mm. it's not the stock isn't doing that well lately is it no so they had earnings come out uh last week I believe end of last week Friday-ish mm. um oh it was bad earnings it was yeah. quite bad um the stock has dropped in one day, dropped fifty percent, which you know is is the Olapex is a small company, it's a small cap business that obviously means it's more volatile. So you could see massive drops like that. Um, it's very you know I think that'd be very shocking to someone who's maybe used to holding large cap businesses, you know Apple, Microsoft, things like them. If if my if Apple was to lose fifty percent in a single day, like something horrible has gone on. Um, in Olapex's case, it was just um, management was changing guidance uh, downward, basically saying, oh, we're not going to meet the the growth that we set out for ourselves. And also, interestingly, Olaplex is also dealing with issues that um, I mentioned earlier in terms of they have a huge amount of excess merchandise. They ordered too much stuff during the pandemic, thinking that the demand that they were seeing while everyone was stuck at home is going to continue, that demand is not there. So now the company has a tremendous amount of product sitting around. And I don't know enough about Olaplex to say, does it expire? But um, I just, it's just the thing of like, you don't want to say, oh, this shampoo has been sitting in this bottle for a year. You know, you want to move that product. You don't want it to be sitting on the shelf aging. Also, it it costs money to store product. I think that's something we forget about a lot is shelf space, storage, warehousing. All of that costs a lot of money. If you have to get excess warehouse space, it's going to cost you tens of millions of dollars, if not hundreds of millions Mm -hmm. of dollars. Um, So it's just stuck between a rock and a hard place sales are declining while also having an excess merchandise is not where you want to be but it's it's also not a story that's unique to olaplex it's something that's happening kind of across the market a lot of stock it's far far rarer for a stock to not be having these issues than for them to be having them so i guess you can take some comfort in that but yeah hard time for the company yeah i mean like and recently enough um, they've got a massive competitor in this brand called k18 and everyone on tiktok saying it's better than olaplex but really? one thing i will say hairdressers are still recommending Olaplex yeah. above anything else and like you know and that's interesting because it's not like it's one of the um products in the hair salon that they get money back for recommending it like they don't but they just uh, they still mm. say Olaplex Olaplex so yeah I think it's definitely one to watch and I remember even yeah when they had the bad earnings report the other week Emmett slacked me because he just knows I love Olaplex and he was like oh yeah. stocks down 50 percent really bad earnings report and I was like damn I just told everyone on LinkedIn that this was my favorite stocktober pitch <laughs> well look like in 10 to 15 years you know so yeah it's kind of yeah. a one like if you really believe in Olaplex but definitely one to keep on watching their financial statements as they come out because as you can see last week it was very bad for the stock but yeah, yeah another, I suppose it's just a just a risky, kind of one of those oh. <laughs> another risky <laughs> brand facing stock basically yeah, and I think we're seeing a lot of the issues that we proposed when we looked at Olaplex initially. I know Rory has made a pitch on Olaplex. I know we've talked about it on the podcast. One of the, th- the things that the company just has is it, it's it's operating in a very small vertical. Like it has these products and they're very famous, but it's just, you know, their serums, their hair care stuff, their shampoos, their conditioners. Whereas I think oftentimes manufacturers of shampoo and conditioner are in a lot of other areas. Like they might be making cosmetics, they might be making body wash and everything. So, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they tend to be in like parts of massive conglomerates, you know, Unilever manufactures like a huge amount of, of these types of products. So it's just kind of a reminder of like, in order for a small business to succeed in the face of these massive companies, your product has to be really, really special and has to have, you know, 
a massive moat that no one else can beat. You know, it has to be protected by some sort of patent or something like that. And so it seems like Olaplex is going to be challenged by this now if there is a competitor that is becoming as viral on social media. So it, it'll be interesting to see over the next mm-hmm. probably year if yeah. it's going to stand the test of time. For sure. Okay, so let's go on and talk about our last stock, which is the New York Times, another consumer product stock. Um, I don't know much about the New York Times other than like it's just so famous. I always hear, hear about it in like movies and books and stuff. Never actually go on and read anything by the New York Times, mm-hmm. um, mostly because it's paid. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I guess, but since they since they bought Wordle, I do go on and play that now and again. That's really all I know about New York Times. Yeah, I think that was the idea when they bought Wordle is they were like, we'll get some young people's eyes on us and see, can we encourage them to to get a subscription? I really like the New York Times. I would say I'm a fan. I have mm. a subscription to the New York Times. I have a subscription to the New York Times Cooking, which is super great, actually, if you, you are in any way a cooker, a baker. Yeah, it's their 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 app and their website is great. They have like any recipe you need is on there and they're always really like well vetted and they've gone been gone over and you know there's nice little community on there of people like every recipe I go on has like all these great comments of people being like oh I adjusted this to fix this or I you know really like you know anyway um yeah so from like a cooking one I think it's like $50 for the year it's not much it might be even like they tend to run specials as well like around Christmas Black Friday and I think you can get it for even less than that um yeah. And also if you're like a young person, if you're in university, you can get access to the New York Times for basically nothing. Like I think it's like a dollar a month or something like that. Like very, very affordable. Um Rory is also a huge fan of the New York Times. I think when he put the when he put the the stock in, I think it was very much him wanting to put a company in that he felt good about that he felt was like pushing for the common good um which I think the New York Times is. The the only thing is is that like it's 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 wholly dependent upon people viewing it as being valuable and paying for it. You know, it's like Netflix. It needs people to, to buy the subscription. They make a lot of money actually off of um, selling physical newspapers. That's a much more profitable way for them to do it. But obviously that's, that's dying at this point. It's kind of a lost art. Um, And so, yeah, you're, you're hoping that young people will continue to value journalism and want to pay for it because the alternative to that is that all journalism is paid for by advertising, which isn't like a perfect system Mm, because inherently those advertisers can have influence on what the newspaper is allowed to write. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, you don't want that. You want your newspaper to be functioning completely independent of any type of, of, of bias. Um, and so you don't want to follow ads either. (laughs) Yeah. Cause it's just distracting. Like it really does ruin your user experience. And so, I think we are kind of going to see a generational question here of are people going to continue to value and pay for journalism? And I think like just from my experience with like people my age, a little bit younger, there is this kind of interesting culture where people are very willing to pay artists and creators. You know, I think that they're very much, they value the individual. They they value someone who's, who's like putting their heart and soul into something and they want to pay for that. But at the same time, young people seem very in opposition to paying corporations. And so it's kind of interesting to see where the New York Times is going to fall on that line. You know, are they, are they big enough that they're considered a corporation or are they, they have enough kind of individuals with individual followings that people say, no, 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 I, I value this. I want their input. I want their opinion. I will pay for it. Um, 
So yeah, but also just in terms of, of the business, the New York Times is very good at making acquisitions and they acquired mm-hmm. Wordle as we were speaking about earlier. I think that was a fun little acquisition for them. They didn't pay very much for it. I yeah. think they only paid like a, it was like a million dollars or something like that. And it fits really well with like the New York Times crossword is really popular. That's a subscription service that some people have. And I think Wordle just in terms of, of, um, of like how the game functions, it's slotted in really well with those, those offerings. Um, more interesting was the New York Times bought the athletic, um, which is a really cool um, sports-focused online newspaper, which basically encourages local reporting. So rather than trying to get this like one national um, like sports uh, outlet, they said no, like like people care about their own sports teams, their local sports teams. So how do we get good coverage on that? And they said, well, we'll just hire the best local sports people from all across the United States who maybe, you know, you have one writer and all he does is write about the Green Bay Packers, but that's totally fine because it means that people who love the Green Bay Packers will pay to view that content. So the athletic is like this really incredible, diverse, thoughtful sports outlet and people really like it. And so it was kind of a great acquisition for the New York times fit into their ethos really, really well. Mm. So yeah, I think like, I think the product is incredible. It's just, yeah. will it stay relevant? Yeah. I think you've kind of sold me on the New York Times one. I think I definitely, yeah. that probably be my second favorite one in the last five. I think definitely Lululemon and then New York Times. The other New York Times are a bit too risky for me. Yeah. And I'd say that like the New York Times does definitely have a, have a hint of risk to it because it is mm-hmm. that it's a very, it's a long-term cultural shift type thing that you know, you'd be investing and then you say, okay, we'll see how we are in 20 years. Mm. You know, we'll see what young people think. We'll see, are people still willing to pay for this? So, yeah. Okay. So that was all, um, our stock pitches. And yeah, again, if you want to see the other 25, make sure to check out my Wall Street socials, um, for the rest of the month, because they're going to be finished up at the end of October. So having said that now it is our girl boss of the week. So who is it this week? Anne-Marie? Girl boss of the week. Well, this is like a little bit of a throwback to, do you remember when we did the second part of the NFTs conversation and our girl boss of the week that week was like Reese Witherspoon and a bunch of other celebrities who I was very frustrated because they were plugging NFTs without disclosing whether or not they owned NFTs from the collection. And I was going, how is this legal? Because if you owned a stock and then you went online and plugged a stock and you were really famous and had this huge following, it would be illegal. You would be fined. Yeah. Well, in that kind of same vein, our girl boss of the week this week is Kim Kardashian because at the beginning of the month, the SEC fined Kim Kardashian $1.26 million because um, she had taken uh, she had, had taken a big fee basically to promote a cryptocurrency on Instagram and she didn't properly disclose it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was paid $250,000 to publish about it on Instagram. And basically didn't didn't effectively, in the eyes of the SEC, disclose, you know, that she was being paid to promote this, that she, like, hadn't looked at the risk profile of the cryptocurrency at all, that it was, you know, considered a risky investment, any of that. So um, I love this because I think that the SEC needs to be doing more of this. And I'm very excited in the next year to hopefully see more celebrities get fined for this type of behavior because I think it's really unacceptable and it takes advantage of, of people. So, yeah. Yeah, I can't believe she really did that because I thought she would have like know the rules so well for socials because of how many promotions they do. Like you think they'd be like, you know, like that hashtag ad promoted would just be like ingrained into them. But yeah, yeah. she's just been in a lot of controversy lately. Like them, like they just keep seem to be coming out like every week. But again, 
I remember seeing a meme like this is trunk change to her. Like she's a billionaire. She has a private jet. But yeah, yeah still, it's it's nice to see though that like they are getting stricter with things like this because, you know, she has massive influence yeah. over people. Okay. Yeah, um, definitely. So that's a wrap. That's a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Oh, hang on. I don't have my script open two seconds now. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, tune back in in two weeks' time. And if you want to follow us on socials and watch the Stocktober pitches, please. Um, you can find us on Instagram at FunMyLifePodcast, on Twitter at MyWallStreetHQ, and on TikTok at MyWallStreet. And on our new account, which isn't really new, dedicated to the podcast at Anne-Marie and Nicole FML. It's also worth saying that Emmett recently joined TikTok. He's very excited. Yes. And I think, is he at Emmett Savage? He is. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So go and, go and watch Emmett. You can see he's doing his own Stocktober thing right now. He's like dueling stocks yeah, he's still off one another already. or something like that. Oh, yeah. Anyway, but uh, so there you go. Lo- loads of content on all sorts of channels. Um, and finally, if you are ready to start your investing journey and are looking for resources, check out My Wall Street's Getting Started podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts or download the My Wall Street Learn app. Both are linked below. If you want access to our list of stocks handpicked by our analysts and lots of other investing and finance content, download the My Wall Street app and create your free account today. That's all from us. We hope you enjoyed listening.